Welcome to Amici, news and insights from the New York courts. I'm John Carr. In this diversity dialogue segment, we are honored to have a unique guest with a unique background and a unique job, Maria Isaijiza. Maria is a sign language interpreter for people who are deaf, like the parents who raised Maria and her six siblings. Maria is the bridge between them and the court system. It's kind of a family affair. Five of the Eastside Giza children are sign language interpreters. Maria has been a sign language interpreter for 40 years, 25 of them in the courts. We're pleased to have Maria with us today as we celebrate National Disability Employment Awareness Month as well as Hispanic Heritage Month. Maria, thank you for uh, joining us. Now, I believe you told me offline that your parents came here from Mexico and Puerto Rico and met in, yes. New, York, and met in New York City. When, how, when, how, and why did they come to New York? <laughs> in my father's case, he came from Mexico. And in Mexico, there weren't many opportunities for the deaf. So he came to America for better opportunities and um, to find a better life. Uh, my mom came with her family during, uh, from Puerto Rico during Operation Bootstrap. So she arrived in New York. They both arrived in New York fairly at the same time in the early 50s. The early 50s. Was when they arrived. Okay. Now, um, what was it like growing up in a home with two deaf parents? Um, how did you communicate with them before you became fluent in sign language? Because of them, I became fluent in sign language. Sign language was my first language, John. Um, this was all that I was exposed to while I was growing up. I did have older siblings but they weren't really exposed to language other than my parents communicating to us in sign language. So sign language was our first language. Then we learned how to speak. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So it, it's probably the same as, as anyone else. I mean, I, 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 learned to, I learned to communicate with my parents verbally, and you learned to communicate with them in a different way. Correct. It was my native language. It is my native language because it was the first language that I learned, that I acquired. Now, it sounds like both your parents came here, came to the mainland, the United States, seeking uh, greater opportunity. Uh, did, they, did they find that here? For the most part, yes. Um, it was quite the struggle for them being deaf and not really having too many resources, um, but they both connected with the uh, local Catholic charities and found support with the Catholic Church. There was an organization, the uh, Puerto Rican Catholic Deaf Society, which my parents were a part of, and that's where they met, and that's where they received uh, resources um, in terms of housing, uh, getting married, uh, settling in to New York, and uh, so they were a big part of our lives growing up. Well, it's great in terms to, of support. It's mm -hmm. great to have that that support network. 
Absolutely. Now, um, where, where, where did you go to school? I went to the local public school in Brooklyn, where I grew up. And uh, went to the local high school. And then when I decided to uh, pursue interpreting, I studied in San Diego. I went to their interpreter program and studied there before I uh, got into the profession. How long did you know that's what you wanted to do? Um, it wasn't until my late teens that I decided that that, when I discovered that I could actually get paid for doing what I had been doing all my life, <laughs> uh, that's when I decided to pursue it. And I found that San Diego had a pretty good program. And I had a brother, my oldest brother, who's deaf, uh, lived in San Diego at that time. He was already married and starting his family. So I moved to San Diego and I attended the, uh, the training program that was available when I decided that that's the profession that I was going to pursue. And then did you remain in, in California for a while? I did. I got my first assignment in California. And what was yeah, that? Right what, 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 what was that first assignment? Um, I was an interpreter at the uh, community college, interpreting for deaf students. So they would attend classes. They were mainstreamed with the hearing population, with their hearing um, classmates. And I was assigned to be their interpreter, to interpret lectures or whatever the course may be. So that was my first experience as a professional. And then how did you come to work for the courts? Well... That <laughs> that's interesting um, because I did a lot. I, I did a lot of community work uh, when I came back to New York, and um, I, I became certified, and I worked in the community. So I took on different assignments. I had uh, assignments involving medical interpreting, working in the hospitals, um, working in the school system. And then uh, after I became certified, I was eligible to work in the court system. Um, and then I had a taste of it, and I really liked it, and I preferred it to the other um, areas of uh, interpreting, specialties. Uh, and it stuck with me. I really enjoyed legal interpreting. Now, how is, how is legal interpreting differ from medical interpreting? Oh, gosh. Oh, medical interpreting is very intense. I mean, you're dealing with sick people, crowds, you're overworked. I mean, the hospitals are constantly, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of, of, of chaos. <laughs> um, just, just, it was a lot of, 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 of assignments. I had patients, uh, emergencies, detox. It was just constant. It never stopped. It never ended. And, and, it, and it was sort of a burnout for me, and the hospitals weren't hiring more interpreters. So I decided that the medical interpreting, medical interpreting was not something that I was interested in pursuing. So I did some educational interpreting, and although I did like that very much, it is also intense because you're interpreting lectures uh, for long periods of time. So it was a lot of work. It was a burnout. And then I found that legal interpreting was um, not as difficult. Most people think that it would be. It, 
yeah, how could you do legal interpreting? That's so complex. People's lives are in your, you know, no pun intended, in your hands. And, and you know, you would have to be so good at it. And, and uh, yeah, and people's lives are at stake in that situation. But I found it to be less intense. Um, and, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed law. I was fascinated with law. And each case was different. So it wasn't like a boring biology lecture that I had to interpret. It was interesting cases, um, you know, in Supreme Court and criminal court, uh, family court, housing court. So there was always a variety of, of, of assignments. So I enjoyed that. I would imagine that the courts uh, can be chaotic, but in general are a little more orderly. Yes, it is. Definitely a lot more orderly than the hospital. Sure. Sure. That was, you know, that can be, it, 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 it was, uh, I, I was much younger then, and I had the energy, but I couldn't do it now. I wouldn't <laughs> do it now. <laughs> what, 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 is, what is the greatest challenge in, in legal inter interpreting? Um, when you meet someone who comes from a different country, and you're trying to establish communication. So, I, you know, I find that challenging. Um, I actually like it. Actually, it's my specialty because I always believe that there's always language somewhere, be it gesturing or facial expressions or whatever it takes to establish that. So I enjoy that challenge. But, uh, but, but language, definitely dealing with someone who comes from a different uh, background um, and, and who communicates in a different language. Now in courtroom, of course, emotion or tone or context of a statement can be very, very important. And, and that's why, you know, reading a transcript of a court proceeding can be, can be very, very misleading. Is there a way in signing to con convey those things, the tone, whether oh. it's anger or sarcasm oh, or whatever? How do you do that? Absolutely. Uh, in facial expressions, in um, the uh, tenacity of just signs, uh, uh, you know, rapid movement, um, expressions on the face, you can, you could, you could interpret sarcasm, you can interpret fear, you can interpret anger, you can interpret love or calmness, serenity, all that is interpreted through, of course, sign language, but mostly facial expression. Facial expressions is grammar. It's the vital part of communicating and language, in, in sign language, that is. That's, that's fascinating. And is that something you learn through experience or something you learn in the training? That, 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 it, that it's not only the signing, but the expressions, the, face, the facial signing? It is relevant. Well, that, yeah, that's something that I grew up with. It was something that was very familiar to me in my, my parents' uh, social uh, groups and, and community. Um, we were, we would go to these uh, death events and watch and learned. And we saw when someone was angry or someone was excited or the noises that were made. And yeah, it, it was fascinating, and this is how it, you know when when you're young, you absorb it all in, and, and it's something that you know you think about it in retrospect. How did I learn that? And it was just something that you grew up you grow up with, and something that's instilled in you, and it's it's so natural for me. 
Now, I'd imagine, particularly in legal interpreting, where you're also where you're also interpreting with your facial expressions, you have to be extremely careful to avoid doing anything that would would evince an opinion on your part. Oh no, I definitely keep my opinion and my personal uh, uh, feelings or opinions uh, that is not expressed in my sign language. Um, you know, sign language is, 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 is a, such a fine line between interpreting and acting because you're conveying the true spirit of the speaker mm-hmm. and the true spirit of the signer. So I, tr- you know, I do my best to portray that as, as, as close as possible to the speaker or signer. So when a judge is angry and telling a defendant, if you get in trouble again, I'm putting you in. <laughs> So I express that you get in trouble again. And I wish you could see me while I'm starting finding this. Um, and, 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 you know, usually the defendant gets it from my expression or they can look at the judge, look at the interpreter and they'll get it. They, they, they will so, understand that the, that the judge is not kidding. Exactly. So I like to convey that if the judge is angry, I'm not going to sign timidly. I'm going to, you know, my signs are going to be stronger, more intense, uh, my facial expression is going to convey the anger of the judge or maybe, uh, you know, the opposite. Maybe the judge is commending the defendant and saying, you know, you did really great. And, and, uh, you know, I'm happy to say that you complied with all my orders and, and everything that I've asked of you. And so, and, and they, they could see that and you could see that, that they're happy about that. Or you could, you can, uh, convey their, response to that as well that is fascinating they smile they nod their head they sign thank you you know thank you your honor and and the judge can see that as well because facial expression is universal i would think sure so it sounds like you've really got to be hyper alert and totally tuned into whatever is going on in that courtroom and you got to get in the zone <laughs> as i would always say i'm in the zone and then i walk away from it it's like ooh. And it's, it's, it's transference almost because you're evoking that emotion. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, what, what languages do you sign? Mexican Sign Language, Puerto Rican Sign Language, American Sign Language, signed English. Now, there must be differences, cultural differences, to be aware of. You know, even in the Spanish language, you, me- you mentioned Mexico and Puerto Rico. There may, there, may yes. be, there may be different phrases, different tones, different contexts. It's, it's completely different. Mexican Sign Language from Puerto Rican Sign Language. Totally different from American Sign Language, Cuban Sign Language. They're all different. It's not universal. As many languages there are on this earth, there is there is as many sign languages. So, you know, each country has their own sign language. It's not American sign language. Sure, and, and even, you know, even English. You know, uh, I can have difficulty understanding. I speak English as my sole language. I can have difficulty understanding someone from Ireland who is also speaking English or someone from England Correct. who is also speaking English or Canada who is also speaking English. Correct. And even in this country, there, there are regional signs. There are some signs that are native to New York. And if I use that sign in California, they don't understand. And I learned that 
when I lived there, when I signed, for example, the sign for hospital is different. New Yorkers sign hospital different than what Californians sign hospital. So I had to learn, you know, sign languages can be regional. Um, and, and also with the Mexican uh, sign language, their foods, tamales, tacos, <laughs> they have their signs for that. And then there are Puerto Rican signs for their foods and their customs. So, yeah, it could, it could vary, definitely. That's, that's quite a lot on your shoulders. Now, this seems to be a family business, as I said in the introduction. Uh, yes. uh, tell me about your siblings. What do they do? Um, um, my oldest brother that I mentioned, he lives in San Diego. He's retired, grandfather of seven. Um, uh, he, he was um, an engineer. He worked in a company uh, air, that made airplane parts, Roar Industries. He retired from, uh, from his company years ago, and he is an excellent storyteller, and he's a leader in his deaf community. He's a president of the Mayan soccer club with deaf members, and uh, so he's very active in the deaf community. So that's what he's doing in his retirement years. Um, my brother John, I'm going down the line because, again, there's seven of us. I have to start from the top. And my brother John is a sign language interpreter. He works for the uh, Department of Education. Mm -hmm. um, and then my brother um, Alan, he lives in Georgia, and he works for the school system, the Georgia School for the Deaf. My brother uh, Joseph is is also an interpreter working for the Department of Education. My sister Gloria, my only sister, works uh, for the court system. She joined uh, the courts um, a couple of years ago, so she's working in the courts like like I am. <laughs> now your your family is going to make quite a draw on the New York State retirement system, isn't it? <laughs> just my sister and I yeah but my siblings you know they have their own thing going on <laughs> now as someone who grew up with two people who could not hear and spends probably every day assisting other people who are deaf what would you like people to know people who do not have your experience to know about people who are unable to hear um, treat them as you would anyone else the only thing deaf people can't do is hear. Um, and, and deaf people don't see themselves, for the most part, as being disabled or handicapped. Uh, they see themselves as being in a linguistic minority as opposed to being disabled. Um, and, and they like to be treated equally and fairly. And so long as there's access to language, then there's nothing that they can't do.